My name is Charlotte. I'm an alcoholic. I want to thank uh, the conference for asking me to speak tonight at this meeting. It's a privilege to be here. Um, I have no idea what's going to come out of my mouth. Um, but it'll be my truth, and that's all I can promise you. Um, every time I've had the privilege of speaking from the podium, um, I've told my story just a little bit differently. Um, but I've found that the further away I get from my first drink, I mean my last drink, excuse me, my last drink, um, the less I, the less time I spend on my drunkalog. So I'll hopefully try to stay in the solution. <sighs> um, I am, uh, living in Gunnison and, um, I am from Memphis, Tennessee, originally born and raised. I, uh, my parents were not alcoholics. I had three siblings. And um, there, was, there was no alcoholic chaos uh, in the first part of my life. Um, but I, uh, even as a very young child, I... I uh, I had those those feelings of, of not fitting in. I had those feelings of what is wrong with me. Um, I lived in fear all my life without knowing it. Um, but when I when I got into recovery, I, I, I certainly I certainly could look back and see that. My um, my father uh, divorced my mom when I was uh, six, and. Um, he went and, and had kind of another family, and there was a, there was a, this doesn't, I, I don't believe that my parents made me alcoholics. I don't believe that the situations that I grew up in made me an alcoholic. Um, I believe I was alcoholic when I was born. I, uh, when I got into recovery, my sponsor told me in my first step to go back and, and kind of look at my family tree, and um, there was alcoholism on both sides of my family. Um, my sister, my niece, my uncle um, are all in recovery today. Um, but uh, after the divorce, there was um, there were some things that came up between my father's new family situation and, and us, and and I was I was taught to hide um, things that happened, and um, lying was was. It wasn't called lying. It was called just kind of shading the truth. And um, my father had been kind of a, uh, a rager. And so in my house, um, you, you, you hid what was going on. Um, you, you, you just you didn't want to cause attention. Um, and so from a, my earliest memories, I, uh, I, was, I was taught or picked up or um, somehow learned to um, to hide what was going on inside of me, and I was ashamed of that. And that's just how I how I how I was was raised. And um, so I went through the first period of my my life um, until my first drink at twelve, and. And I'll just go through, like I told you, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it's important for me to remember that first drink. I was babysitting, 
and uh, a friend had come with me, and I was 12, and I was in charge of these children, and I had put them to bed, and my friend was kind of a prankster, and she thought it would be cute to uh, get Charlotte drunk for the first time. And so she went and she poured a, a, a glass of Burgundy, uh, and it's a very strange drink for a 12-year-old. But uh, she said, you want to drink this? And I said, well, yeah, I do. And so I went out in the backyard and I drank this plastic cup of Burgundy, and it happened I mean, it just happened. I remember sitting on the swing and swinging and looking up at the stars, and it, that burgundy went into my veins, and it went into my gut, and I thought, oh, my God, I am one with the universe. I just, this pleasant, wonderful, warm feeling came over me, and for the very first time in my life, I was okay. I was okay. The fear left. The trying to keep up and be a part of and wondering what, you know, all that, all of that, that confusion, why can't I understand what's going on, and that all went away, and I was, I was, I was fine. But of course, like alcoholics, I shot that more, I, I wanted more, I wanted more. So I went and I said, can we have some more? And uh, I had some more, and I went into a blackout. I don't remember the parents coming home. I don't remember going home. I don't remember, you know, any of that. And uh, the next morning I woke up and I had vomited all over my pillow. And why I did not asphyxiate that evening, I, I, I don't know. I just don't know. Um, but I remember waking up and seeing it on my pillow. And my first thought was, I've got to hide this. I got to get this. I got to take care of this. And then how am I going to go do that again? I mean, I remember. I got to. I got to go do this again because all I wanted was that feeling of I am okay. Because I was not okay in my own skin. I just. I, I. I couldn't do life the way life had been served up to me, and I. I didn't know what to do, and I could not wait to go and do that again. And I did it again and again and again for 22 more years. And I tell you that experience because it's, it's um, my last drink was, was just about like that. Um, you know, the knowledge of what is going to happen when you pick up that drink, when you're in your, your alcoholism, it, it, it doesn't... It doesn't make you stop. Um, that self-knowledge. Um, I, I just wanted to do it again and again because I kept wanting to get that wonderful feeling. And, of course, you know, by the end, the, the wonderful feeling was not really coming. And, um, and I knew I had uh, some, I, I knew I had a problem. People around me didn't, didn't drink like me. They could go to a cocktail party and have a couple of drinks and, and stop and start drinking coffee or decaf or water. And I, I thought, you know, what is wrong with you people? What, what? We're at a cocktail party, you know? But going to the cocktail party, of course, I would already have had a few because I can't go into groups of people and not have something because um, my fear would just would, would take over. And, and I'd always... 
overshoot the mark, and I end up in a foggy blackout. And so the consequences um, had caught up to me, and uh, I had. Uh, I'll back up just a little bit. I, I came out to. Um, I did a little geographic. Um, decided I wanted to go to a little town uh, in the mountains of Colorado. Didn't know a soul. But I came up here and I went to Western State. And um, it's shameful, the money that was spent on my college education. Because, uh, I mean, I don't remember anything. <laughs> except the names of the bars and the bartenders. And it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's part of my story. Um, I thought that's what you did in college. And anyway, I, I graduated. How? I don't, I, don't, I don't know. But I did, and um, I got a job as a bartender because that's what good alcoholics do, right? So I bartended down at the Timbers and um, just, uh, you know, the, the next couple of years is, are, are blurry. And uh, anyway, my, my father managed to um, control me and get me back to, to Memphis where he thought I belonged. And I did that and uh, ended up staying, staying there for about 17, 18 more years. Um, but I had fallen in love with this place. And I loved the small community and I loved being in the mountains and I loved being away from the south. And so um, about... I don't know if I told you all my sobriety date is May 30th, 2000. In 1995, I met my, my current husband, and um, we, we got along great because we, we, we drank the same way. And um, he's in the program of AA as well. What happened was that um, we, we, we started dating in November of 1995, he moved to Illinois in January of 96, and um, so we had, what, you know, a couple months, and he went up to uh, Illinois and started a restaurant, and so we had a long-distance romance for about four years, um, which is a really perfect way for an alcoholic to have a relationship, by the way. I don't know if any of y'all have done that or tried it, but it works really good. Because he's off doing his crazy stuff. I'm off doing my crazy stuff. And we never talk about it. And then we get together and we do crazy stuff together. And it's all fine. And so we did that for, you know, about four years. And finally we, um, we decided to get married. And there was no basis at that point for us really to get married. But we thought, well, you know, we've been together for this long. Why don't we just get married? So we got married in uh, October of 1999. And <clears throat> October, November, December, January, and then, you know, up through April were crazy because he was still living in Illinois doing his thing, right? And I'm still down in Memphis doing my thing. And, you know, it, it, was, it was nuts. And it was... Um, it was uh, having a real emotional to toll on me because I knew I was living dishonestly. And I knew um, that my marriage was not real. Um, 
And there, the drinking had, had really kind of spiraled out of control, and there, there was no controlling it. I, I woke up every single morning and quit. Every single morning I'd wake up and quit because I was one of those that had those raging hangovers that if normal people felt that way, they'd be in the emergency room, you know. And I'd have to get up and go to work. And it was, it was just almost too much. And so I decided I was going to quit drinking. I just, I'll tell you what happened. I woke up one morning. It was May 30th. 2000. I'd been married for, what, eight years, eight months. And before my eyes opened, I, I tried to get my bearings. And I um, was one of those who had a real hard time looking in the mirror. Uh, mirrors and I, we just didn't mix. And I didn't like who I was. I didn't like who, who, I, who I was, uh, how I was living. I didn't... I felt like there was, there, there was another way, but I didn't know how to get there. I was always so filled with confusion and fear, and I just, and I knew drinking w- was killing me. But I, what do you, you know, what do you do when you don't have recovery? You just, you don't know what to do. So I stumbled into my bathroom this morning on May 30th, 2000, and I looked in the mirror for the first time. In a really long time. And I, um, I said, God, help me. And I wasn't a praying woman. I, um, I didn't feel like I was one who God would love. I had a mixed up understanding of, of um, what God was all about. But I had come to that place where I could not live with myself anymore. It was unbearable to me. And I didn't know what to do. And so these words came out of my mouth as I looked into the mirror that morning. And I said, God, please help me. And that's all I knew how to say. I didn't say anything else. And I didn't have some great light. Nothing, you know, the house didn't shake. I went and I got in the shower and I dressed and I went to work like I did most every morning. But that afternoon at 5 o'clock when I got off, I didn't stop at the liquor store on the way home. And I got home and I didn't know what to do with myself. So I went to bed. (laughs) I didn't know what to do. And I woke up the next morning a little shocked, but trying not to think too much about it. And I got up and I went to work. And at 5 o'clock, I left work and I didn't go to the liquor store. And I came home and I didn't know what to do with myself, so I went to bed. The next morning, I woke up, went to work, and when I came home... I had to, to wait for my husband to get home. I hadn't even shared any of this with him, by the way. This <laughs> tells you a little bit about what we were like. He, um, he walks in the door with a beer in his hand, and he says, you want a beer? 
And I said, no, I don't think so. Sat down and we ate a little bit of dinner and we were sitting in bed reading and I, my heart was beating so fast I couldn't even stand it. And I said, uh, man, I got something I, I have to tell you. He was reading the newspaper and he went like, oh, shit. <laughs> he put down the newspaper and I said, um, I haven't had a drink in two days. And I don't want to drink anymore. That was the most honest thing I've said, I had said to my husband up until that time. And his response, well, what about me? <laughs> For any of you that know Matt out there in the audience, I said, I don't, I don't know about you. <laughs> I can't do, I mean, I can barely even do anything for myself. I can't do anything about you. I said, I don't know. I don't know. And what I didn't know at that point was that he had hit his own bottom. Three or four days before and had been a blackout for about 48 hours. And I had no idea. And he had come to and realized that his life was out of control and unmanageable. I didn't know that. And so he said, how would we do this? I'm new at this. I don't know. I don't know. He looked at me and he said, I'm going to call Danny in the morning. His brother had been sober in Alcoholics Anonymous for 10 years and had never once tried to talk to either one of us about it, even though he had seen us at our worst. But at that moment, intuitively, he knew that that's what he needed to do. And I said, okay. And he said, well, what... I feel like we need to do something. What, what, what should we do? And I was like, I, I don't, what are you talking about? I don't know. He said, I feel like we should pray or something. I went, pray? <laughs> what? We don't pray together. He said, well, let's, let's say that serenity prayer. I didn't even know it. I mean, I'd read it, you know, in those cute little things that you have around sometimes. And I was like, okay. And so we stumbled through the serenity prayer, not saying it correctly. How that came to us, I have no idea. But we did it, and we went to sleep. And the next morning, Matt called his brother, Danny. He said, Danny, I need to talk to you. He said, okay, well, you want to meet this afternoon? He said, I need to talk to you now. And Danny said, okay, why don't you meet me for coffee at so-and-so? That said, I'll be there. Danny says he knew exactly what, what was going on. So he went and he met him, and he told him what was going on. And Danny said, do you want to go to a meeting? And Matt said, I don't know. What do I have to do? He said, you don't have to do anything. 
just go to a meeting with me. And so they went to me. I'm, I'm at work. Uh, you know, I don't know anything that's going on. I'm at work wondering how I'm going to get through the next day. You know, if this is going to just be easier every day or what. And so he goes to a meeting. He gets his first white chip. And he comes up to my office and he says, look what I've got. I said, what, what is that? And he said, it's a white chip and you're getting one next. <laughs> and I said, I don't understand any of this. He said, we're going to a meeting at 530. I said, okay. And we went to a meeting and... Um, You know, those first meetings are hard. And I don't know about any of y'all, but I don't remember everything that was said. But thank God it had two days. I was on my third day without any alcohol in my system. And I was like this. All I remember, it was a smoking meeting, and I wasn't a smoker anymore. And there were some bikers in there, and there were some, I mean, it was, a, it was one of those rough meetings, and I loved it. I loved it because I liked those dark bars that you could go in, you know. And so I just remember sitting there, and I just I, I I could not believe listening to these people sharing this stuff that was just like mine, just packaged a little differently. And I wept through that meeting, and I I, I knew I knew. It was almost like that feeling I had when that burgundy hit me. I knew I was in the right place. I knew I was okay. Not that I was going to be okay, but I knew I was okay. And I knew that I, 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 uh, I didn't ever want to leave AA. And I remember feeling those feelings on, on that, that first, in that first meeting. I didn't share anything. I didn't share anything for a long time. I kept my mouth shut. But I went to meetings every day. Every day. And I learned about the steps. And I learned about what you do to, to get sober and to stay sober. Because I'm one of those that tried everything else. I went to psychiatrist, I went to psychologist, I went to counselors, I went to church, I went to a different church, I went to aerobics, I went to, uh, I got hypnotized twice. First time didn't work, so I thought, you know, second time. Uh, I, I did everything to fix me. I've described it in meetings before that I just felt like there was this, there was something inside my gut, there was some switch that just needed Somebody needed to turn it. It just, it just, something was wrong and I, it needed to be fixed. And I, I thought you, somebody, something in the outside could fix me. And I had to come into AA to understand that it's an inside job. It's not about you fixing me. It's about me working through these steps and finding out who Charlotte is. Because I can guarantee you I had no idea who I was when I walked into the doors of AA. Um, I was whoever you wanted me to be. I would look at you and I'd 
I thought I was powerful enough to know, okay, I know what you want me to be, so I'm going to be this way. And I just bounced back and forth. And, uh, I, it, you know, my, my, my soul was so sick when I came in. It was so sick. And um, it, was, uh, it took a long time to, to trust enough. Um, I didn't get a sponsor my first day. I didn't get a sponsor in my first year. Um, I hung around and listened and kind of shared, and but I went religiously. I went because I knew if I didn't that that black abyss that I had been living in was right there. And if I chose, I could dive right back into it. And I did not choose. I did not want to go anywhere back to where I was living. And so I... Um, I worked the program of, of Alcoholics Anonymous, and um, I went to the conferences, and I worked the conferences, and I took meetings to the prisons, and um, I worked the, the phones at, for the AA office on Friday and Saturday nights. I did 12-step calls. I, I just, I, I, I'm so glad that I did all of that because it, it, it just, it, I just immersed myself and Alcoholics Anonymous, and it's exactly what I needed. And um, because soon I ended up getting pregnant and having children, and it was hard to do all that. Um, I have a four-year-old and a six-year-old, two little boys today. And don't you know, every morning I wake up, and the first thing out of my mouth is thank you. I've learned in uh, my recovery that gratitude, gratitude is so important because I wouldn't still be married if I hadn't gotten sober. And we both know that's the truth. And I wouldn't have these beautiful boys that I have today. Um, I'll fast forward a little bit. Um, Two years ago, we decided that uh, we didn't want to bring our boys up in, in the big city. And I'd always yearned to come out to Colorado again. And didn't ever think that Matt would want to do that. And he did. And so um, December 23rd, 22nd, um, two years ago, we, we packed up all our belongings and we drove into Gunnison. And we came, it was a... It was a journey of faith because we had no idea what we were going to do. We just knew that we were going to open up a little cafe, and we didn't have a place. We didn't have anything. Um, and we, uh, we have a, um, a thriving restaurant down in Gunnison today. It's been a, it's been a, it's been a challenging <laughs> year and a half, two years. Um, and it's been the first time in my recovery that I haven't, been immersed in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous as far as going to meetings as much as I used to. I was going to five meetings a day. And um, my sponsor told me, you know, Charlotte, we get sober so that we can have lives, so that we can live our lives. Because I was not living a life before I got sober. I was existing. And today I'm living a life and I'm participating 
in my life, which I, I, I totally did not have the skills to do that, to participate in my life. And um, because I, I, over the last year and a half, I've, I've gotten really guilty because I'm not going to meetings enough and I'm not doing this and I'm not doing it right and, you know, all that perfectionist. And my sponsor said, you're living your life and you're living it sober. And what a gift that you can give to your marriage and to your children um, as you build this business. And, um, and I have to be okay with that today. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous has, has, has given me a life, is, is what it amounts to. And I will be forever grateful. And um, I want to read something really, just a, a, a lyric from, I don't know if any of you know John Hyatt. He wrote um, a lot of songs about his own recovery. And um, he's my favorite songwriter. He's, he's, he lives in Tennessee. But he wrote this wonderful song. And... Um, The the couple of lyrics are, The cold wind that blew through the hole in my heart Made a fire for the very first time With some branches of trust And some kindling of faith And the spark from the back of my mind I heard that song shortly after I'd gotten sober And I cried for about two hours Because that song describes it I think all of us have that spark, that we're all children of God, however you believe, and that we all have that spark, but alcoholism just shields it and covers it up. And, um, man, it takes some trust and it takes some faith and it takes a whole lot of willingness And all I did was start with the willingness. And that was just fear that I was going to go back. But it was enough willingness to get me started. And um, it's, 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 that spark continued. And um, for any of y'all that are just getting sober, man, it's a beautiful way of life. It beats anything that you were doing before. Um, I'll close with, uh, I, I listened to a lot of speaker tapes when I was getting sober. Man, Matt and I would drive around on Friday nights for like two hours and listen to speaker tapes <laughs> and look at each other and go, we are so weird. <laughs> we are driving around listening to AA speaker tapes. And we'd, we, that, that's all we did. And we'd get home and we wouldn't have finished. So we'd, we'd, we'd pull it out and we'd go into our bedroom and put it back in and sit there and listen to the rest of it. I mean, we were complete AA nerds. But Earl, I don't know if any of y'all have listened to Earl. He was one of my favorites. And uh, he, he talks a lot about living in the moment. And that's what I learned how to do in Alcoholics Anonymous. My past is gone and my future is unknown. And what I have is right here, right now. And it's beautiful. It's Beautiful. I never lived in the moment before. I was too scared. Earl talks about right here, right here, right now. And he does that to get your attention. And it got mine. And I share that with newcomers, that your life is right here, right now. Thank you very much.